You're listening to WCOMLP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. And guess what? Guess what? Guess what? We're back this week. And we've got plenty of backlog Christian crazy to give you. I know, I know, I know. We went puristically interview last week. And I know some of you were like, yeah, I need my little bit of snark in the news. So don't worry, baby. I'm here for you. I'm here to give you what you want. And I just realized the cadence of my voice sounds dirtier than I meant it to be. (laughs) So without waiting anymore. So we've had a wild week. Royal wedding. Beautiful, wonderful Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. And I just have to go ahead and tell you this ahead of time. If you haven't watched the Lifetime movie, Harry and Meghan, you're definitely missing out. And I actually say this in a sarcastic tone, but I'm absolutely serious. My wife and I had nothing better to do over the weekend, so we decided to tune into it. And it's essentially a documentary of how we'd like to believe the whole wedding went. So seriously, people enjoy. So we had a wedding, a royal wedding, and also we had another school shooting in America. And before I can get to the Christian crazy, I've got to get to the regular crazy. For what we're dealing with here as the new normal in America. Yeah. And I wish I didn't have to be the bringer of bad tidings or nasty snark as we do this, but it happened again. After the last time, I said it happened again. And still, no change. Yeah. So we continue to hope for different results without changing anything. But wait, wait a second. We do. There's hope for change. Let's just talk to the lieutenant governor of Texas. He has some pearls of wisdom that I believe are game changers. They're absolute game changers. So you want to know why the shooting happened and why we continue to have school shootings happen? Well, Texas lieutenant governor Dan Patrick has said this when he was with George Stephanopoulos on this week on ABC this past Sunday. He said, should we be surprised in this nation? Should we be surprised? He went on to say, whether it's through abortion, whether it's the breakup of families, through violent movies, and particularly violent video games. So yes, let's continue to place the blame 
elsewhere. Because that typically ends up being the go-to phrase for folks that are in the pocket of the NRA or whose heads are too far up their asses to think that there could be any other reason for these school shootings, any other reason, not guns, any other reasons. It's because all of the kids are vaccinated and vaccines are evil. It's because we can't believe it's not butter. It's margarine's fault. Oh my goodness. And Patrick was very quick to tell Stephanopoulos that, you know, the we that, you know, we and guns are a part of who we are as a nation. You know, there's kind of like a marriage going on here, or at least some sort of a extramarital dalliance when it comes to our love of sweet, sweet guns. Oh, sweet guns. They look so great. And he also said, you know, it talks about a well-run militia, the Second Amendment. Our teachers are part of that well-run militia, by the way. By the way, by the way, by the way, Dan Patrick, shut the hell up, seriously. Like, in times of crisis like this, I, I would rather people remain silent and deal with the fallout from their silence than to open their rectums and spew this onto the news. Spew this in a way that is a scattershot of answers to other questions or other realities, as opposed to an answer to a problem that involves students being killed. Yeah. Santa Fe High School, there's 10 that are dead. So what do we do about this? Oh, we deny guns. No, 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 no. Let's go to guns defense. No, no, no. Let's come up with anything else we can pull out of our rectum. Eh, anything, anything, anything. Video games. We all hate video games. Movies. Oh, oh, I had gone and watched Avengers Infinity Wars and it left me feeling like I needed to go and murder people. And not any people like it would be easy for me to watch that movie and say, I need to kill superheroes. No, it's made me feel like I need to go into a school and shoot people. Yes. Because that's the exact reason Dan Patrick shot the hell up. This is stupid. This is sad. And all this is doing is taking away from Harry's wedding with Meghan Markle. That was perfect. We already know that. But I've spent enough time on this. Now let's hop into the Christian crazy because you can't get enough of that. That's why you come here. We went from normal crazy. Let's go to Christian crazy because that's what we do here on Snarky Faith. Let's go ahead and get to like our WTF of the week in Christian news because it definitely is a what the of the week. So if any of you remember, we had Friday Reese on our show from Unchained at Last. This is back. If you want to go on the website, www.snarkyfaith.com, look for episode 142. She was talking about the disgusting fact that here in America, we still allow child marriage. And I know many of you out there were like, nah, that can't happen. Mm? No, not today. No way. And yes, yes way. It does continue to happen. 
and I, I stumbled on this article by the progressive secular humanist, uh, and it's written by Michael Stone, called Conference Will Change Child Marriages for Christian Homeschoolers. So, before I kind of go on my Christian homeschool rant, I do have to make a little bit of an aside here, because I will tell you, during much of their formative years, a.k.a. elementary school years, my children were homeschooled as we lived out in Washington State. Now, 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 now. This is an important distinction. Ours was mainly because, A, the school district that we found ourselves living in, working uh, in and amongst to do ministry, the school district sucked, like was one of the worst in the state. So one, we did not want to mess up our kids even more than we probably would mess up our kids by having me as a father. But two, we also wanted our kids the time to be able to kind of grow into having their own personal voice. So when I sit here and rip on Christian culture and homeschooling, I understand that culture very well. I, in the past, have been a missionary uh, where I've told this story before, but I remember we were at a missions conference and my daughter's sitting down, hanging out with other missionary kids and some other kid comes up to her and she's like, can I listen to your iPod with you? Which tells you how long ago this was. And my daughter's like, sure. And the girl starts scrolling through her iPod and she goes like, I'm not allowed to listen to any of the music you have, so I'm sorry. And my daughter asked me, what's wrong with the music I listen to? And I said, honey, nothing at all. Nothing at all, because it's actually good music. So we were kind of that type of, in the early formative years of our kids' lives, homeschool parents. We are not the type of homeschool parents, and I'm going to talk to you right now from the group Quiverful, if that tells you anything. Because, guess what? There's a conference to arrange child marriages for Christian homeschoolers. Now, where? Where would such a progressive... Yeah, I can't even hide this anymore. Yeah, where would this happen? Yeah, it's in Kansas. It's in Kansas, if you would imagine this. Yes, yeah, so... If you're a fundamentalist or a conservative evangelical parent, you're going to descend like crazy to Wichita, Kansas in November to be able to arrange marriages, not for your children, but for your teenage daughters. Yes, barf. Yes, barf. That is the thing. That is the thing that is still happening within conservative evangelical Christianity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they are having a, quote, let them marry retreat. Mm -hmm. Quiverful, which is a, apparently an organization that has nothing to do with human trafficking, but doesn't it? Um, they have a let them marry retreat where parents are able to come in and arrange Yes, this is 2018. I'm sorry. Just a reminder, we're, we're living in 2018 right now <laughs> where parents are flocking to the Let Them Marry retreat so they can arrange for suitable marriages for their teen children. Mm. 
I'm sorry. I just keep throwing up in my own mouth as I'm even trying to read this. Yes. And thank you. Thank you, progressive secular humanists, for actually going through the websites for all of this so I don't have to. Um, mm, mm, I like even reading. Mm, 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 mm. I'm going to read this anyways, but it makes me feel just gross. And I, I will have to take a pause in this broadcast to go shower at some point. But as they put in this, uh, this yes, post, uh, according to the website's frequently asked questions, marriage is appropriate between the ages of 13 and 20, but no later because delayed slash denied marriages cause the word of God to be blasphemed and turn your young people over to Satan. And here's where it gets gross. The website, mm, 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 yeah, also explains how parents will know when their children are ready for marriage. And I'm just going to go ahead and preface this by saying, at least the way I'm reading this, when they say, is your child ready for marriage? They're just meeting your daughters, which is hella sick. I'm quoting from them, not me. Quoting from them, disgusting, not me. Uh, And here's how you know if your child is ready for marriage. The youth ready for marriage has breasts. A woman who is to be married is one who has breasts, breasts which signals her readiness for marriage, and breasts who promise enjoyment for her husband. Parentheses, we believe that, again, breasts in quotes, here stands by a symbol for all form, forms of full secondary sexual characteristics. Oh, my God, why are you writing this crap on your website, people? Seriously, what the hell is wrong with you? Uh, mm, this is like, I feel like quiver is almost like pedophile. Uh, yeah, it's very pedophilish or pedophilish or peta something. Dear God. Mm. Yeah, this is just reprehensible and disgusting that essentially you are evaluating your... I have two daughters, and for me to sit and evaluate them based upon these creepy-ass effing standards and try to say this is somehow biblical, it's messed up! It's so messed up! It's so messed up! It's gross! I'm not even going to finish reading this article. It's so gross. It's so messed up. What the hell is wrong with you conservative fundamentalist Christians who see your daughter as essentially cattle that you want to be able to sell off into a marriage with a guy that within their website and how they're establishing this, you're not putting limits on the age of the men. You're putting limits on the age of the women because they're ripe like a cantaloupe. What the hell is wrong with you? This is disgusting. This is sick. And again, you're listening to snarky faith and I'm even feeling like snarky gross right now because seriously, this is happening in America. We're not talking about third world nations. We're not talking about what Christians would like to like badger on and be like, well, this happens in Muslim country. No, 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 no. Wichita, Kansas, motherfuckers. Seriously, what the hell is wrong with this? How is this happening? 2018, anyone, anyone, anyone? Yeah, no, I understand this is falling on deaf ears. I just had to throw this out because it is so sick and twisted and nothing to do with the Bible and Jesus. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, I, I, yeah, yeah. I don't even want to dig into this anymore. I'm already feeling ill. 
So in that vein of speaking about sexual perverts within Christianity, let's go ahead and talk about Mike Pence. Natural segue, natural segue. Yeah, this article, not surprisingly, comes from the Christian Post. And this is from uh, a couple weeks back, uh, early in May. And it's entitled, Pence helped pick Christians from congressional Bible studies for Trump administration. What? Yeah, you heard me. You heard me. Because I said the words I was just reading. Because it's a thing. And I'm going to quote this article here saying, quote, leader of the Washington, D.C.-based Capital Ministries, Ralph Drolinger, praised Vice President Mike Pence on Friday for influencing the selections of strong Christians who are, quote, on fire for Christ to fill President Donald Trump's administration, end quote. Really being on fire for Christ does not mean it burns when you piss. Sorry, back to the article. Uh, he is also looking forward to the government leaders using their powerful political platforms to spread their faith in the world. So hold on, hold on, stop the presses. Um, Pence is helping Trump fill out his administration? How's that gone so far? Honestly asking, honestly asking. Really, I'm honestly asking here. So Mike Pence is handpicking a bunch of freaks from the, apparently, the House and Senate Bible study because as long as you show up for that, that means you're qualified? Especially to be picked by sexual repressive Mike Pence? I'm not even sure how to snarkify this. And I'm sorry, like, so Pence is helping out by not even looking at real qualifications, but simply just by saying, are you in the House and the Senate's Bible study every day? Are you hanging out and listening to the word of God? Do you know anything about doing stuff in the government? Don't worry, you're in the Bible study. You'll learn quick. Because that's how God appoints people, not based upon qualifications or intellect. <laughs> no, silly. It's just about being in the Bible study. Oh, my God. We are all going to hell. This country is doomed. And hopefully I can find something better to talk about. Probably not. The end may be near, but at least we can laugh about it. And that's not nothing. Not nothing. It's a little something. It's a little something. So for that, let's go ahead and talk about Judge Janine Pirro. I mean, she's essentially like the Judge Judy of Fox News. Oh, 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 oh. Courtroom drama lady that likes to scream at the TV. Yes, but Judge Janine has a show on Fox News. And she's saying now that President Donald Trump. You know what he's doing, people? He's fulfilling biblical prophecy by moving the U.S. Embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Hello, have you read the Bible? So prophetic, so prophecy-like. What? What? Yeah, it's not. It's not. FYI, if anyone who's read it, it's not. But she said this nugget, which is beautiful. Trump 
like King Cyrus before him, fulfilled biblical prophecy of the gods worshipped by the Jews, Christians, and yes, Muslims, that Jerusalem is the eternal capital of the Jewish state, and that the Jewish people finally deserve a righteous, free, and sovereign Israel. Because what does a righteous, free, and sovereign Israel mean? It means that our embassy is there. That's, that's it. Again, end times. Go ahead. Jesus, come back right now. Come on, Jesus. Here now. Here now. Get here now. Because prophecy is absolutely happening. Yes, this past week, the embassy has moved to Jerusalem for no good reason besides Trump pandering to his base. Uh, but if you're listening to his base, you're going to love this. You're going to love this. One of our little snarky crushes that we have. As they begin to celebrate the opening of the new American embassy, it's going to include one of our dudes. Going to include one of them. Like, we should put out, like, a snarky, sexy little calendar of the month of little heretics. Mmm, that may be something that people may like. And so this calendar month is Robert Jeffress. Yes, the pastor of First Baptist in Dallas. It's a mega church. He loves Trump and apparently he hates the Bible. He wouldn't tell you that, but based upon his whole what moral equivocality that he lives within, <laughs> he pretty much hates Jesus and loves Donald Trump because he said this to Fox News. I'm going to be thanking God for the strong leadership of Benjamin Netanyahu, who is absolutely determined to protect Israel. I'm also going to be thanking God for our president, Donald Trump, who had the courage to do what no other U.S. president has done, and that is to officially recognize Jerusalem and to move the embassy. Come on, Jesus! It's your time. We did our part. Where are you? Why aren't you coming back? Jesus, get out of here! But you got to remember this, and this isn't something you're going to hear me say on the show very often. But I'm going to give a little bit of snarky props to a guy you're not going to assume I'm going to give it to. It's going to be Mitt Romney. Yeah, that Mitt Romney. Assumingly the only Mitt Romney out there who tweeted this last week, Robert Jeffress, who said, quote, you can't be saved by being a Jew, end quote. And, quote, Mormonism is a heresy from the pit of hell, end quote. He said the same thing thing about Islam. Such religious, a religious bigot should not be given prayer that opens the United States embassy in Jerusalem. This doesn't happen very often, but like, oh my gosh, that's a mitt burn. Mitt burn. Seriously, that is like the, the lowest temperature burn ever, but it's still a burn. So mitt, mitt, mitt. Well done. Well done by roasting good old John Jeffress, the bigot and fake Christian that he is. Because for all of you conservative fundamentalist evangelicals that are getting a hard on right now that somehow the U.S. switched the embassy and that somehow means it's the end times. God don't work that way, peoples. He doesn't. That's not how it works. It's not how it works. It's not. And you know what this is going to do? You know what this is going to cause? 
You know what's going to happen through all of this? <laughs> Nothing but a bunch of turmoil and making people, peoples and lives in that area like complete hell. Yeah, yeah. Because I've got an article to talk about that right now if you want to hear about it, because here we go! So earlier in the month, NBC News did a story called this. It was Holy Land Christians feel abandoned by U.S. evangelicals uh, by Brinley, or F. Brinley Burton. And I want to go ahead and just begin this with Burton's words. Many evangelical so-called Christian Zionists believe that by, quote, redeeming or reclaiming land, Israeli Jews are bringing the world a step closer to the second coming of Christ. Evangelicals, a mainly socially conservative group who believe in the importance of being, quote, born again and the centrality of the Bible, make up about a quarter of the U.S. population. Most evangelical leaders reliably support the policies of Israel's government. Religious anxiety is intrinsic to Israel and the Palestinian territories with their tapestry of competing faith, sex, ethnicities, and land claims. But Christian communities in the birthplace of Jesus are shrinking. In and around Bethlehem, Christians have gone from about 80% of the population just after the establishment of the state of Israel in 1950 to around 12% today. Jewish settlements have been eaten up, uh, have eaten up Arab land, some of it originally owned by Christians in areas that Palestinians hope to be a future state. In Israel itself, Christians have gone from some 21% of the Arab population to around 8% today. Overall, they now number just 2% of the Israeli population. Quote, this is quiet ethnic cleansing, says Reverend Drew Christianison. <laughs> That's his name. Um, a Roman Catholic priest at the uh, and professor of ethics and global human development at Georgetown and a former advisor to the U.S. bishops on Middle Eastern policy, um, quote, it is not large, it's not large scale massacre or large scale deportations, but it is uh, bit by bit over many years with a variety of policies which Christians are not necessarily attacked as Christians, but they are marked by being Palestinians. Evangelical Christians can make life difficult for Christians living in Israel and the West Bank, says Reverend Ramazi Swati, who is a theological professor and a Roman Catholic Church official. He goes on to say, sometimes when they make some declarations uh, pro, pro the state of Israel, it becomes difficult for Christians uh, amongst the Palestinians, he said adding that such comments make some Muslims assume that all Christians are pro-Israel. Residents and church leaders describe the intense pressure on the tiny Christian communities in Israel where they are caught between a much larger Muslim and Jewish populations. And along with uh, other Palestinians in the West Bank, Christians face land seizures, arbitrary detentions, and collective punishments um, that they are part and parcel of the Israeli occupation, residents and rights groups say. So again, let's circle back to this. Let's circle back to the way that Christians, conservative evangelical Christians in America like to talk about Jerusalem. We like to talk about them in a philosophical sense. We love to get our spiritual hard-ons for them. In a real down-and-dirty, fingers-in-the-dirt sense, ah, we could give two craps about them. We would rather talk about them in the theological or philosophical sense. Israel, 
Israel, children of Israel. But when it comes to actually caring about what they are going through, about what their day-to-day life looks like, and what actually honestly helps them, we couldn't give a crap about that. And that speaks to the deep level for how evangelical Christianity has gone about, actually not even evangelical Christianity, let's just go ahead and say Christianity as a whole, have gone about looking at mission fields. In the past, we had the Catholic Church that would essentially send their white saviors to people that had more melatonin than they did. Um, And essentially, the whiter they were, the more knowledgeable they were to be able to preach and speak down to and condemn indigenous peoples. This idea that there's a white savior out there. Yeah, that thing that we kind of look back to from like the 18, 17, 16, 1500s and say, ooh, that's kind of icky. That's kind of icky missions. We're different now, right? 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 Yeah, no, we're not. No, we're not. We still look at missions fields from a perspective of hierarchy. Like we are, we are higher, we are more Christian and white or wealthy or whatever icky term you want to call yourself uh, that gives you this moral superiority to look down upon groups of people that you like to look down upon. And the funny thing is, as we're looking at this, Israel is no different. And I want to return to the article where they say this. It's the American evangelical surge into pop the political scene uh, in 1980 by helping to elect President Ronald Reagan. In 2016, around 80% of white evangelicals voted for Trump. Just a reminder. And as evangelicals grew more prominent uh, domestically, their ties to the Israeli political establishment strengthened. The International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, Israel's largest charity, is funded by largely by American evangelicals. Since being founded in 1983, it has raised a total of $1.5 billion with the help of evangelical leaders, including Reverend Pat Robertson. And guess what? You know who else? The Reverend Robert Jeffress, an influential pastor of the 13,000-member First Baptist Church in Dallas and an informal advisor to Trump, explains evangelical stalwart support of Israel in this way. The Bible says this land belongs to the Jewish people, period. And he adds, God has pronounced judgment after judgment in the Old Testament to those who would divide the land, end quote, and hand it over to non-Jews. I love this inclusive. I love how inclusively he speaks. And if you can't read the fact that I'm speaking really damn sarcastically right now, I can't do anything for you. Oh my gosh, it's so wonderful when the Bible is used for hate speech and bigotry. I know it's happened before. I know it ha- it'll happen again. But really, every time we point it out, it makes me a little sick in my mouth. Yes. 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 Jeffress in the article added that it only makes geopolitical sense to wholeheartedly support Israel, quote, our only reliable ally in the Middle East. And he dismisses the notion that evangelical support for Israel stems largely from a desire to trigger the second coming of Christ and the end times. However, other evangelicals are open about their belief on this, but oh my gosh, seriously. I love how we're trying to like play poker with Jesus. 
somehow like that our whole our whole motivation within evangelical Christianity is somehow to tip Jesus's hand in this, which also tells me you don't know Robert Jeffress and your ilk how to honestly read the Bible, the Bible where Jesus commands people to love, have compassion, have grace, not try to somehow like tip the dominoes to make the end times come about. Uh, in whatever Machiavellian way you want to, because that's what you're doing. No, no, no. Jesus spoke less about his second coming than he did about what we are called to do now, today, to move forward this fact that to be a follower of Jesus means you love the people like you and you love the people that aren't like you. You love your neighbor, you love your enemy. And I know that's a little hard for Jeffress to swallow. It's even harder for Mike Pence to swallow. And Mike Pence knows how to swallow a lot of things. But it's tough. Because we want to have moral superiority over the rest of the world. And if you look at the way our government is right now, if you look at the way that the evangelicals have led to this thing that we call Trump, president perhaps like more like job of the trump that we have going on in there like this this big on like this big like worm like oh 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 ha ah, ah, ha ah, evangelicals blah, 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 blah. you know it almost feels like that it feels like some sort of a mob kingpin but in the star wars where you have a large worm that is leading that it feels like that. And I just wish at some point Melania is going to kind of pull a Princess Leia and kind of grab the chains. You know, I'm not saying that for serious. That was snarky. That was a joke. Was it? It was. Maybe it really was. But the thing that gets me here is this, this whole like part and parcel view of how our government handles Israel. And the fact that something that was formed as a nation state in like, what, 49 has become this thing, this thing that somehow has popped out. It's like the Bible's become a pop-up book, and Israel pops to the, to, to the beginning of it. It's like, look at it. It's here. We can't deny this. Forget the red letters. Look at the pop-up book parts. And so I'm not saying, I am not saying, I'm not saying that God does not love the Jewish people because God says that. He loves the children of Israel. What I am saying, it's very dubious for us to get behind all these geopolitical power moves and things that are going on, especially when you begin to look at Netanyahu and all of the shady stuff that he is doing as well, to somehow say to back him means to back God and to back Jesus. That gets very problematic. Say what you will about the nation state of Israel. But for us to go part and parcel in on this, like without even asking questions and just say, well, that's Israel, that's Israel, that's Israel, that's the Israel of the Bible, that's absolutely it, that is very problematic. And it's actually very scary because what we have done is we have pulled out any kind of context, any kind of deeper reading, any kind of contemplative reading of what it means to be able to support people in the Bible. Because when we have evangelicals speak about this, we want, we want, we want Israel to rise and lay waste to anybody else around them. And that is not very Jesus-y. I think there is a way, I think there is an ethic to be able to wrestle and tease this out. This just isn't the way. And Trump moving the embassy means nothing biblically. 
this is not this is not one of the dominoes that's going to fall and eventually Kurt Cameron is right and Jesus is coming back and we should just watch Nicolas Cage in the movie Left Behind because Rapture is around the corner because it really is but it's not but it is but it's really not at all and this is just a waste of time for people and Christians that do honestly not want to walk out the hard work of Jesus. They would rather get behind ideologies because ideologies generally don't cost much of you. It's, is, it's easy to be pro-Israel but not do anything besides send money here, there, or other. Yeah. Again, it's cheap faith. It's cheap evangelism. It's cheap Christianity. And they end the article by saying this. The problem with these new evangelicals is that they don't understand that the Middle East, uh, in the Middle East, there is a Muslim ocean. And if Israel wants to survive in this Muslim ocean, it has to be wise. And I say that in a long draw, wise. <laughs> because evangelicals and being wise careful, contemplative. Yeah, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. But we'll get to our next thing. So here we go. You see, the counterpoint is this, and we tipped on it earlier, but not fully, is the fact that, guess what? There are Palestinian Christians. That's right. Palestinian Christians. Wait, what? Aren't the Jews, the pre-Christians of the evangelical world? Isn't that how it goes, Stuart? No. Guess what? There, I'm going to say this again and a few more times. There are Palestinian Christians. There are Palestinian Christians. Palestinian Christians. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Mm -hmm. Palestinian Christians. That's a thing. And why is this a counterpoint that you're not going to hear much. Why? Why from the evangelicals? Because <laughs> we have to just go part and parcel all in on Israel. Because that's God's plan, right? But what about the Palestinian Christians? Don't believe me? Well, guess what? Let's go ahead and dive in to an article. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tip my hand here. I'm giving an article from a conservative-esque source, the Missions New, Mission Network News. Sorry, not News Network. Mission Network News. Find your place in the story. And they had an article called U.S.-Israeli Embassy Moved to Jerusalem Negatively Affects the Palestinian Christians. And I'm going to go ahead and hop into their article because guess what? We're not getting the whole story here. Okay, so the move has neglected the lives of Palestinians in the area. The day of the move, Israeli forces opened fire on Palestinians participating in protests. At least 60 Palestinians were killed that day with one more death reported on Tuesday of that week. And they go on to say in the article, it's been perceived on the ground that American evangelists were behind the push for the U.S. Embassy's move. And that perception has marred all Christians' witness in the region. But it's particularly marred the Palestinian Christians' witness to their neighbors. So think about this. Think about this. Where do we stand in this tug between 
politics and faith and faith and politics, politics and faith, faith and politics. When if you would go back and sit down and talk to any evangelical, you know what they're going to say is like the numero uno of being an evangelical? Evangelism. Evangelism. The idea of spreading the gospel, making new converts, going out into all the nations to spread Jesus everywhere. You know that thing? That thing that kind of makes evangelicals evangelical? Yeah, apparently in this situation, not so much. And let me just reiterate what they're saying. In this region where you have Christians that are trying to live out the ways of Jesus, trying to reach their neighbors, trying to be able to offer a different way. Those Christians who happen to be Palestinian, all of this that American evangelicals are doing is killing the witness of Jesus. It's killing evangelism in this region. Isn't that kind of weird? Shouldn't that like take... Like, like, have us take a moment of pause for those in the Christian world. Our quest for power and our love of dogma and rhetoric and talking points has brought us to this point where finally we as the somehow underrepresented minority majority of Christians in America, us the quasi minority group that somehow is receives the end of mass prejudice on a regular basis. Those poor evangelical Christians. Yes, those, 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 those that, that care about Israel, that want Jesus to come back, that are obsessed with supporting Israel, are actually undoing evangelism amongst Palestinians. How's that sit with you guys, religious right? How's that sit with you? That you've ruined the witness. Wait, hold a second, hold a second. Robert Jeffers, check. Uh, Franklin Graham, mm-hmm. And all the others. Oh, wait, they've been spending their whole career. I'm sorry, what was that? Repeat that again. Oh, they've been spending their entire careers ruining their witness. Oh, and trashing the faith. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wait, what was the last part? Oh, for personal gain. Got it, got it. So there's really no hypocrisy here if they just keep doing their own shtick and don't care about the consequences and actually don't even care about the gospel at all. (laughs) I'm so foolish. Thanks for clearing that up with me. I would never have gotten that. So guess what? I guess, you know, no harm, no foul. Is that how we play this? Is that how it goes? Right. I'm sorry. I missed that one. So that's right. Let's just ignore the over 50,000 Palestinian Christians in this area where the evangelicals have pushed our numbskull of a president to make a move that didn't need to be made at all and put these people in harm's way all for Jesus? Well, I mean, I guess, like, evangelicals, if I sit here and, like, think in my head about this, maybe they were like, you guys aren't persecuted enough, and it says in the Bible that you're supposed to be persecuted? And we're really just doing you a solid, like, you know, high five there, family, friends. Because honestly, Palestinians, I mean, you guys think you have it bad, like, 
yeah, bombs all the time and getting shot by Israeli sniper fire, that whole thing. But you guys don't know what it's like in America. I mean, I want to bake cakes, but if I bake cakes for gay people, it makes me just feel uncomfortable and a little bit icky. And now the government says I have to keep making cakes for people. I mean, I don't like it. And I'm so persecuted right now as a white person in America. You guys wouldn't fully understand it, but guess what? We move the embassy and you're going to understand persecution in a big way. Oh my gosh. Had anyone ever connected this together? Has anyone that white evangelicals are living off of white privilege and the fact that the way that they even look view, read the gospel, always reeks of white privilege. I mean, am I the only one thinking this right now? <laughs> Maybe I am. Silly me. But seriously? I mean, this goes back. This goes, like, way back to the days of, like, early, early missions work where the white people go into places because the people that aren't white apparently have no idea who God is and are apparently inferior and please you're listening to a show called snarky faith so most of what i'm saying right now is drenched in snark so just don't even go there like and i do like that's my defaulto version for an evangelical is a valley girl which is also the height of white privilege and understanding nothing of the world and only caring about themselves. Wait a second. Oh my gosh. Are all evangelicals Valley girls? Oh, now when I watch mean girls, it's going to look way different. I really, really think it is. But instead me just going off and ranting on this kind of stuff, I want to actually get back to what's really going on in that area. But the article continues saying when Christians from abroad encourage this embassy move, and declaration of Jerusalem as Israel's capital, it has brought that much more hopelessness to the lives of Palestinians. It has made the Palestinian Christians' job harder. And then quoted in the article is Jack Sarah, the Bethlehem Bible College, part of Bethlehem Bible College. And he says, I think after the coming of the Holy Spirit, I think it meant a lot that God didn't change his plan from the beginning. He had all the nations of this earth on his heart and for his salvation. But it was much, much clearer than any time before that God loves all people the same. He loves all nations the same. Nobody's favored before God. Everybody is favored in front of his eyes. And we need to think like him in our mission work, in our kingdom building, and I think we really need to think of how is God's heart to all the nations, how he sees all the nations, specifically in our area. I think Christians need to start thinking of Palestinians and seeing them in the same lens that they see Israelis. Pray that despite the politics, Christ would still be seen through our Palestinian brothers and sisters. Ask for peace to be brought to this region and for both Jew and Muslim and Palestinian to encounter Christ. And I pray for our own hearts to align with God's will. When I hear statements like that, I, I, don't, I don't hear people that are posturing, a people that are trying to win an argument. I hear somebody that 
is compassionate and humble and cares deeply about the mission that he's on. Someone that cares deeply about his beliefs and his faith and everything that matters to him. But what I don't hear is that same conviction when I listen to evangelical pastors, when I listen to the evangelical leaders that are part of Trump's evangelical advisory board. I don't hear that from them. They sound a lot like politicians. They sound a lot like somebody that's trying to convince you to vote for them. And make no mistake, pastors in many ways can allow themselves to become just like politicians. They may not have their day at the polls, but they have their day from the pulpit. And the way you vote is to put your asses in their pews or cushioned seats, depending upon how contemporary your service goes. But it is. That's the problem. I, I, think, I think more and more, if we're going to circle back from Israel to Palestine to America, let's circle back to the fact that pastors today look a little like the pastors that you saw in the Bible. Pastors today, you've heard me say this before, like a thousand times, are on one hand like CEOs, but on the other, they're politicians. They're working the crowd. They're wanting to make sure their poll numbers are up on a regular basis. So they care about money. They care about butts in the seats, which equals money. But none of this has to do with actually being a servant leader that should spend most of your posturing on your knees, praying to God and contemplating and seeking truth about what to do in this crazy world. What do the scriptures tell us to do as Christians? How are we called to sacrifice ourselves? How are we called to go the extra mile for people that aren't like us, people that don't believe like us? You see, those questions aren't being wrestled from the pulpits today. Those questions aren't being wrestled through in our churches because we don't care about that in America. We are a capitalistic, materialistic society that has gone all in on the mantra, it's all about me. And guess what the church does? They say, sure, we'll play your game. It is all about you. You want a light show? Sure. You want messages that only tell you what you want to hear? Absolutely. Got it. You want shorter, shorter Sunday morning experiences? Because we know you got stuff to do. Guess what? Short sermon, service out in 60 minutes. There you go. Fast food Christianity. Eat it up. Nom, 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 nom. Because that's what we give you nowadays. But if you return to the scriptures, you return to the mold and the ways and the teachings of Jesus, you see a very different posture. You see something that calls us to sacrifice ourselves. Ooh, wait, that's not sexy. That's not marketable. You see a worldview that is full of compassion and grace and says the table has room for more. I'm sorry, that's not going to sell. You see a God that says there's more room here for you, whoever you are. 
We've got room for you. And we're not just like scooting around. No, 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 no. You belong here. You absolutely belong here as much as any of us. See, that's a God that's a little dangerous. That's a God that is too full of grace for most of our churches in America to be able to handle today because when you open things up to grace, you kind of loose the reins of control. You loose the reins of guilt. You loose the reins of being able to use sin as a tool to be able to keep you coming back week after week for you to feel you are inferior and that God doesn't love you as you are right now. That's what is used against you. And we have those kind of churches. Well, why not become political? Because we're already acting like the crazy materialistic society that we already live in. So why not? Let's just go ahead in on that. Yes, I can wear my Jesus t-shirt or have my bumper sticker on my car, go to church on Sunday, and still feel connected to everything else. And have, guess what? I do this, and I really don't have to sacrifice much at all. It's all good. Don't worry about it. Following Jesus has nothing to do with taking up your cross and following Jesus. Don't be silly. Don't go down that road. (laughs) That's all liberal hippie stuff. And I have been told that after preaching before. It's all just liberal hippie stuff. But guess what? That's not how Jesus is. That's not who Jesus is. That's not what Jesus calls us to do. He calls us to be self-sacrificial. He calls us to go and love people. He calls us to go and help people. He calls us to, guess what? Give up power, give up privilege in order to be able to serve God's kingdom. And that story doesn't sell on a Sunday morning. Jesus often preached, and it says so in the Bible that the evangelicals love so much that oftentimes Jesus would preach a hard lesson and the crowd would thin, and that does not fit into our business model these days. But if we really want to say that we're following after God and care about God's kingdom, that comes before us. And that one fact is very un-American. It's not the way we think. It's not. Not at all. And that's where we find ourselves today in the midst of a very sick and twisted and misguided form of Christianity that is alive and well, although slowly dying, in America. So that's been your hour of inspiration and encouragement here at Snarky Faith. We come here week after week to encourage you in your faith and tell you as a Christian, just keep going. Don't change a thing. Yeah, that's not this show. This show is here to expose the fact that the American church is hypocritical and whoring itself out. The things that have nothing to do with Jesus. So as we end this broadcast. Just a reminder, you can catch us at podcast at, at www.snarkyfaith.com. We're also on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, anything that has probably radio and involves a podcast, we're there. And if you're feeling oh so jolly, head on over to iTunes and give us a good rating. But that's all I've got this week. We will be back next week with more snark. Don't you worry. And I will send you off this week with grace and peace and the holiness of Snark. I'm out of here. WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors. 
Lumen, a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question askers, doubters, and skeptics, is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all of life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be a better day than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com.